theory in many ways. Let me give you three reasons why that is flawed and not true. Number one, it's a violation of Levitical law. Leviticus 17, 14 says, You shall not eat the blood of, uh, of, any, of any flesh or of any flesh. You shall not drink or eat the blood. And so if this is literally the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, it's a violation of Levit Leviticus 17. And so that would not be the case. Number two is that Jesus instituted the Last Supper before His death. It's not possible to literally be eating the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ before He died. And then thirdly, Paul continues to refer to the bread and wine. And so he's not using the words, these were the words of Jesus, the words flesh and blood. Paul refers to the words bread and wine. This is, uh, these words are symbolic of his flesh and blood. And never at any point did the bread and wine change into the real flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. You know, we see from time to time there are priests who drink a real genuine alcoholic wine for communion. Now, I believe Paul is addressing this very issue uh, and he says there are some that they get drunk at communion and he's severely rebuking that. Paul says when communion is practiced in this way, he says you come, to to come together not for better but for worse. And then he outlines a number of reasons why instead of breaking bread together, this practice is better known as broken bread. Something is broken here. The holy anointed practice of do this in memory of me is now broken and lost. Three reasons from our text that tells us the cause of this issue. Number one is friction or tension amongst the people. Verse 18 says, For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. And it's true that in many churches today, there is great friction and tension over communion. Some say, again, it's religious to have communion every week. And I believe that can be the case. Others would say it's religious to have uh, communion just once or twice a year. And again, I believe that can be the case. So here we have the friction or the tension and at times dividing tension between believers as to the appropriate time and timing and practice of communion. The second reason why this exists is because of factions. So there's, fric there's friction and there's factions, that is a divide amongst the people. Verse 19 says, For there must also be factions amongst you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. And here, Paul, he is addressing issues that people have with other people. And I really do believe in every congregation, this is an often most overlooked issue. Paul says, frictions and factions disqualify you from communion and from being right with God. Verse 23, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother is something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. 
Paul says, you must deal with your relationships with other people because if you don't, it's the same as getting drunk in a church service. You see, communion is a pre-examination of standing before God. Unresolved frictions and factions, I believe, will not be overlooked by God. David, fully aware of this in the Psalms, says, Oh, search me, O Lord. In Psalm 139, 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because David understands you must be right with man and God. So there was at work friction, factions divide amongst the people. And lastly, he was dealing with the fakes or the pretenders. Verse 20 says, Therefore, when you come together in one place... It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others and one is hungry and another is drunk. And verse 22, he says, what? With a big exclamation mark, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? And he finishes with these words, I do not praise you. And here in the scriptures, he's speaking to the lukewarm. He's speaking to the fakes, the false converts, uh, those who perhaps uh, have an ulterior motive. Three types of people he's addressing, I believe, is the carnal people. He says, overeating is a sign of the flesh. He says, you don't come for the Lord's Supper. He says, you you don't really want Jesus Christ to touch and change your life. All you can think about is uh, is what's for lunch afterwards. All all you can think about is, uh, you know, you know, KFC or, or, or a burger and Coke. The order or altar call comes and, uh, you know, perhaps you're playing on your phone or, you know, doing your nails, or, uh, daydreaming of f- fried chicken and Coke, you know. And so he says, yeah, p- some people are carnal. And he's dealing with that. And then he, he says, there are inconsiderate people. People are inconsiderate in the house of God. And he says, what? You would do that? He says, don't you have a house to eat and drink and do those things in? Or in other words, he says, this is none other than the house of of the Lord, which has a specific purpose, and that purpose is never, ever to be taken lightly. He says, you know what, this is not the local coffee club. This is the house of God and it's one of the reasons why we don't have just open uh, birthday parties and other celebrations here in the church building because this is none other than the house of the Lord. This is the place where the body and the blood of Jesus Christ has the power to transform your life. It's not just a social gathering. It's not just a casual meeting. It's not just a party or some kind of social scene. It's the power of God to touch and change your life. And thirdly, he's looking at some uh, irreverent people. He's saying, he's talking about the idea of communion. He's saying, you know what? You've turned communion into a single boy's home fellowship. 
It's like as soon as the as soon as the um, a chicken comes out with, with with the with the garlic sauce, all the single boys, man, they're they're smashing it, and there's not a piece left for anybody else. And he says, you know what? There, so they just go for it and go straight for the best. And uh, he's addressing that. And he says, those people who uh, who are carnal and inconsiderate and irreverent, uh, he said, they're fakes. Listen, you, you can come to church dressed however you like. And just because I wear a tie, a shirt and a tie, and I'm certainly not uh, suggesting uh, that, uh, that everyone else needs to dress that way. But there is, there's something said for the reverence of the house of God. And it would be, in my mind, it's a little irreverent to dress up for work and dress down for church. It'd be a little irreverent to check your emails during church, to play on your phone, to allow your kids to just roam the church without any correction. Paul says, what? You allow this to happen at church? Okay, so let's move on. Let's look secondly at the supper's purpose Some would argue that to have communion, you must put your right hand over your left, have the bread placed into your hand, and you must sip from the juice from a silver chalice and wipe it with a cloth at every sip. And with all the rituals and rules and regulations, you know what? Something really has been lost with the purpose of communion. I read about a particular church that has communion as a requirement to be born again. Another is offering communion for healing. Read about a Catholic church that says it's one of the seven compulsory sacraments. And if you don't fulfill the seven sacraments, you can't make heaven as your home. The truth is, by and large, it has lost its purpose. And Paul says, when you practice communion in this way, you have done it not for better, but for worse. So let me give you three purposes of communion this morning. Number one is that communion should be a memorial. Luke twenty-two nineteen says, And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Or in other words, he says, Don't ever forget the shed blood of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just like the Israelites remember the Passover. So grateful for the great exodus uh, and that the angel of destruction had passed over them uh, and bring, uh, had brought deliverance from their oppressors. Uh, the Passover is to be forever remembered. But the deliverer, Jesus Christ, was yet to come. But now we have Christ, the ultimate blood sacrifice, the deliverer, the protector. And the Bible says you must never, ever, ever forget what Jesus Christ has done for you. And communion ought to act as a memorial towards that. The second purpose of communion is it's a measuring stick. The text tells us a little bit about where we are at and we can do three things to be aware of where we're at. Number one, it'd be worthwhile having a self-examination. 
First Corinthians eleven twenty seven says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. It says, in a manner unworthy is a reference to the conduct of the lives of, uh, lives of those who are about to participate in the Lord's Supper. They said these were careless and foolish and insincere and mistreated the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. They're treating communion in a sense like any other regular meal and it, and it showed them where they're at. Now, me know, communion is more than just breaking bread together. It's not just another fellowship. It's a self-examination of your heart and our lives and our sin before the living God. And it ought to show us and speak to us about our lives. And so in terms of being a measuring stick, you do a self-examination. Secondly, it's about personal judgment. Verse 28 says, But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of the, uh, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many a week, listen to this, many a week and sick among you and many sleep or die. So here he says a lack of personal, honest assessment, honest judgment is the reason why many people are sick and, and in their sin and condemned to hell says they don't see that their sin, they don't see their sin for what it is and therefore will not judge it and therefore suffer sickness and will spend eternity in hell. read a, a story which I've used before quite a while ago but fits here perfectly. I read a, a story about a couple of twin uh, uh, sisters who were on the border of Mexico and picked up a little dog. And uh, they picked up the little dog and they, they looked, looked after it, washed it, cleaned it, brought, took it home uh, in their car, took it home and the dog seemed sick so they put it in bed with them and they fed it and cared for it. But in the morning it was just still sick so they took the little dog to the vet and uh, when they took the dog to the vet, the vet said, this is not a dog, this is a Mexican water rat that has rabies. And so uh, he said, the problem is this, 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 uh, uh, you know, this is the issue. That's the way people view sin. It's something that they can play with, handle, uh, sleep with, if you like. It's a, and the problem is it has the potential to kill you, but they don't see it. Verse 31 says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And you know, we're often, we are a very poor judge of ourselves says, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, let, uh, that we may be con, con, uh, condemned with the world. For, for he says here, we are a poor judge of ourselves. And if we judge ourselves, we lie to ourselves. As we know, this, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? We all, I mean, people say, oh, the Lord knows my heart. He does. It's deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? If you're honest. So instead of judging yourself, it's worthwhile doing a self-examination, but instead of making a judgment call about how good you are, let God judge your sin today. And so it's personal judgment, and then thirdly, must have the ability to be corrected. 
The real person of pers- purpose of communion is to realign our hearts and our minds to Jesus Christ. Paul says, let me correct this practice. Verse 33, my brethren, when you come together to eat, he says, wait for a minute or wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And then the rest I'll set in order when I come. But he says, you're going to to distribute the bread and the juice and you're going to wait for each other. And we're going to have a communion service at the end of this service today. We're going to distribute the bread. And I want to ask you just to wait for each other. Wait for my direction. When you get that, you just hold that and pause for a moment and we'll participate in that together. Amen. So, three purposes of communion. One was it's a memorial. Secondly, it should be a measuring stick, tells us where we're at. And thirdly, communion is a mark of maturity. See, those who practice communion should recognize all that Jesus has done for you and then willingly participate in receiving the precious body and blood of Jesus Christ that was given up for you as a sacrifice. This this is not just bread and juice. It's symbolic of Christ's broken body, the shedding of His blood, and He wants that to be remembered. And it's a mark of maturity that recognizes all that Christ has done and chooses to never forget that. You see, mature people always remember and recognize what has been done for them. It's immature people that forget, and that's why they backslide. So let's look lastly this morning at the people's proclamation, and I close with with this thought. You see, communion is not just personal, self-satisfying feeling of being with the Lord. See, someone said, when I eat of the bread, I felt at one with the Lord. Well, that's good. But what you do after that and for the rest of your days is far more important than that self-satisfying feeling of a sense of being with the Lord in the moment. Paul says, set aside time for this. He says, without being descriptive of how often and when it should be done, he says in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he says, have communion in solemn remembrance of Jesus and then let the outflow of your life be proclamation the people's proclamation verse 26 as often as you eat this bread drink this cup comma you proclaim the lord's death till he comes listen if you really understand this this ought to take you way beyond any communion service this ought to take you way beyond this morning's church service and we ought to let this be a launch pad for our lives and realize that heaven and hell and the cross is real and there really is a time factor involved here the bible says jesus is coming back we know that our text says until he comes proclaim proclaim the lord's death till he comes meaning time is short You know, many want to have communion. That's the tension. 
That's the crisis of communion. Many people want to have communion, but will not align their lives with the Word of God and will not. They, they want communion, but they won't have proclamation. Because communion, Christ being born again, it's not silent Christianity. It's get on the street corners, get on the highways and the byways and proclaim. It means preach with conviction. Develop a testimony. Be bold for the Lord. Tell people what Jesus has done for you. And in the breaking of bread and the drinking of the cup, Jesus Christ is remembered and proclaimed. He says, till he comes. Not just have communion today and leave it there. He says, till he comes. Not just tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. After, you know, after the Last Supper, the disciples were filled with the Holy Ghost, went out and preached to all the world, making disciples and baptizing them. And they were fulfilling the requirement of both communion and they did that in the act of communion and in community. They were proclaiming the Lord's death till He comes. You see, the most powerfully equipped, influential and able people on planet earth were the disciples who spent time with Jesus, had communion and proclaimed his death till he comes. You know, I, I close. You would have read about the uh, bus incident last week where some psycho ran up to the bus and I, from what I gather, I may not have all the facts, I just, but ran in, I think, through some kind of explosive device, a petrol bomb or whatever, in at the bus driver and the bus driver was killed, and, but there, there was a bus full of people and bystanders on the side of the road, I think this happened up in Brisbane somewhere with no motive, the guy just a psycho just did that, killed the bus driver but um, someone standing on the side of the road saw what happened. The smoke was filling the bus, came and kicked the door in of the bus and all the people on the bus got out the back of the bus. So they were all trapped. And so um, they, the article was obviously talking about the incident, but how grateful the people on the bus were to the guy who kicked in the doors. And he said, we would have died. We were trapped. We were stuck there. We are so grateful. The passengers said, we are so grateful and so thankful for what he did. And if I could use that parallel to what Jesus Christ has done for you and I on the cross, every, for every one of us, Jesus Christ kicked the door in. He came, gave up his life on the cross, sacrificed his own blood, was nailed to that cross and kicked the door of sin in of your life that you could be free. That you could be set free, that you could be forgiven. And if you want power this morning, you want power over sin, you want influence in the kingdom of God, you want an equipping, you want answers, the answer is right here. Never, ever forget what Jesus has done for you. Repent of your sins and freely receive the, the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads this morning as we close in a word of prayer. If I could ask, just in reverence this morning, heads about, we want to pray and ask God to help us. And before we open the altars and participate in communion, I want to ask, maybe you've come this morning and you're not right with God. And again, I'm not.